When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. This is Maria Muldar, and you're listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology on Pantheon Podcast. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music. Culture. Technology. And rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends, diggers. I am the rock and roll archaeologist. Christian Swain, and welcome to another edition of Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Today, we are home in our San Francisco studio, along with our guests. Uh, In the news this week, first up as a reminder from last week, uh, just three new shows uh, we are very excited to share. Uh, There's Rock Candy Podcast. Join Ashley and Maggie every week for sweet treats of stories from the world of music. Uh, They cover anything uh, from album reviews to stories about the artist to music news and some uh, very, very fun asides uh, and drunken banter. Uh, I think they have a, a, a new brew uh, with each episode, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Expect to hear about artists, uh, old and new, uh, spanning many genres. Uh, it's, a, it's a good time, so go listen to that one. Next up is Who Cares About the Rock Hall? Uh, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, imagine that. Every week, uh, a discussion about uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, with Joe Quazala and Kristen Studdard. Um, Joe's a longtime devotee uh, and has done his research. Uh, Kristen uh, doesn't care that much, or at least on the surface she doesn't care. It seems like she's caring more and more each week. Um, join them as uh, he, he attempts to get her and uh, and their guests. Uh, every once in a while they have guests to care about the rock and roll, arche- uh, not rock and roll archaeology, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All right, and third is the career musician. Um, this is hosted by Nomad. Um, Nomad is a longtime musical director, uh, most famously with Babyface, but he is a composer, uh, a producer, a uh, touring musician. Uh, I mean, this guy's done it all. He's been doing it for 30 years uh, professionally. And uh, his podcast is about uh, providing insight and practical wisdom for the next generation of aspiring career musicians. If you are a musician out there, uh, and I am, uh, I really enjoy this podcast um, uh, to pick up some tips 
Um, and, uh, you know, if you're, if you're uh, uh, out trying to, you know, make a career out of it, um, he, he's really generous with, uh, with his knowledge uh, along with uh, those that he interviews. Uh, it's really, I, 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 I wish that, that a podcast like this existed when I was, uh, you know, a 20-something uh, aspiring uh, musician. Um, it certainly would have helped my career. So uh, please go and listen to uh, to that. Uh, all right. All three, um, you know, are, are, are additions to our rock and roll story. Um, you know, that gets us up to 12 podcasts in the Pantheon Network. We're very excited about that. So please welcome Ashley, Maggie, Joe, Kristen and Nomad by, you know, taking a listen and, uh, you know, checking out their shows. And uh, and of course, let us know what you think. OK. Also, because um, it's a bit about the episode today, let me remind everyone that this show, along with sister podcast, Rock and Roll Archaeology, can be found on the Osiris Podcast Network. Hmm, why is that? (laughs) Okay, let's get to it. Let's get to our show and meet our very special guests. Guest in the singular, that is, until we drag someone else into the conversation. With me today is none other than fish lyricist and friend of our show, Tom Marshall. Now, many of you diggers may not be significant fish fans, uh, and that's spelled with P's, just so you know. They certainly are an acquired taste, as well as an inside joke, and even requires a fervent passion to truly get them. I might add, you have to see them live before you can get down to listening to the recorded songs with any significant understanding. It's a thing. Uh, It is known. But uh, along with friend of the show Stephen Hyden, we feel Fish may in fact be the future of guitar-driven classic rock and roll. Of course, not just Fish, but let's face it, the genre they helped spawn, the jam band scene, is very much alive and kicking, whereas numerous other rock and roll genres are, uh, well, um, three-day-old Fish. So, Tom grew up with Trey Anastasio in Princeton, New Jersey, until early high school when Trey and his family moved to Connecticut. But Tom kept in touch with Trey and even penned lyrics to leave on Trey's answering machine. Um... Do I need to explain what that was? Google it if you have to. Um, Marshall wrote the original lyrics to the Gamehenge song uh, McGrupp and the Watchful Hosemasters and nailed them to Anastasio's front door. Uh, Very Martin Luther there, Tom. By 1985, um, Trey and uh, Tom had parted ways as uh, Trey Anastasio became more involved with Fish at the University of Vermont and Goddard College, where Trey used the Gamehenge 
a.k.a. the man who stepped into yesterday concept as his senior thesis. In 1989, the band released their first full album, Junta. Um, Okay, respects to 1986, The White Tapes. Yes, there is a whole lot of this in fish history. It's part of the world building if you want to dive in deep. This is our public service announcement. Beware the blue waters, and there is no lifeguard on duty. Swim at your own risk. Okay, back to the story. Tom listened to Junta and figured the guys perhaps needed a little help in the lyrics department. Just go listen to their song David Bowie on the album and you'll understand. Go ahead. I'll wait. David Bowie, David Bowie, you before me, you before... Oh, right, right, right? And 11-minute song with only four words. Uh, Yes, two words that conjure greatness and then two others that perhaps were um, certainly significant at the time, but still. So Tom and Trey reconnected and the rest is, as they say, well... (laughs) what we are going to talk about today. Let's get to it. Oh, oh, one more thing before we start. Not only is Tom Marshall a lyricist, he's also a captain of industry. Well, he has other interests, and one of those interests is podcasting. Yep, Tom has his own podcast, Under the Scales, and Tom is a founder of the Osiris Podcasting Network, along with our other guest, RJB, who shows up in the latter half of the episode. Okay, now, let's get to it. Let's meet Tom Marshall, and in a bit, RJB. Welcome, this is a farmhouse. We have cluster flies, alas. And this time of year is bad. We are so very sorry. There is little. Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, Tom Marshall. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Christian. Thanks a lot. Yeah, uh, actually, you're uh, in person with me out here in California. What uh, First question, I guess, is what brings you to California? Well, it is a, it's a working trip. Um, I'm here with my partner, RJ, in Osiris, and we were in L.A. meeting with some music entities and companies and artists. And uh, then we came up in San Fran, and it's been... Uh, well, we met with you guys. Uh, we met with our partners, Pantheon. Oh, yes, that's right. Oh, we, we got to tell the diggers all about that. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, we'll get uh, into the Osiris and Pantheon sure. and podcasting all that sure. in a little bit. But yeah, that, I guess that's part of it, huh? Well, yeah. So the meeting part is uh, largely over, and now we have uh, a fun evening ahead of us with my uh, what will actually be my fourth Ghosts of the Forest concert. Trey's playing tonight at the... Uh, the Berkeley Greek. Yeah, this is a new album that Trey has put out of original material that uh, I believe was written uh, after a close friend passed away, right? During. Uh, oh, dur- oh dur- yeah. So was it like like cancer or you know, yes. something like that? Okay. So he kind of sat um, bedside for, I believe, the last possibly 10 days of his uh, close friend, uh, Chris Cottrell's, um, the, you know, the last part of his life, and he had an acoustic guitar and as I, I believe, as Chris kind of drifted in and out of consciousness, Trey was right there, 
and uh, you know wanted to share some waking moments with him and would play him in and out of those drifting moments. Oh, and uh, Chris always loved Trey playing guitar, but especially Chris always loved Trey shredding on electric. And uh, so in the tribute concert, if, if, if you look at it that way, I hear and feel Chris watching Trey, and I think Trey does too, and, and he really shreds. He brings it. Wow. Wow. Well, I think I get the pleasure of watching uh, the show tonight along with you. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and uh, I'll let the diggers know what, uh, what I think uh, in the outro here. So good. All right. So let's get this out of the way and say <laughs> that if you are a deep diving fish fanatic, there will be plenty of eye rolling because of our surface bob of questions <laughs> though you even the fish fanatic may find some tasty bait during our conversation but this is not a a fish show it's a more of a general rock and roll show uh, of which fish is part of the larger whole okay public service announcement uh, rendered so what what if any song or lyric when you're out in the audience do you wish you could take back and woodshed a little bit more? <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because um, my writing style is kind of a trust the muse style where um, often I'll have a central concept and then I won't really know where I'm going necessarily uh, in, in certain cases. And uh, I'll just write kind of to rhyme or to fill the meter of a particular verse and uh you know with the intention of possibly going back if if the song or or the poem at the at that time looks like it has promise there were a few where i never really got to go back that i do sort of uh, regret that i didn't change you know go back and kind of sand off some of the rough edges uh stash is one of those oh you know, okay brush past a garden dependent on on whales you know is the lyric there's one lyric there's a couple others uh i think the fans and and fish fans have gotten to love those so much so they would be horrified if they were ever to be <laughs> if changed. You changed them say, yeah. no rewrite <laughs> <laughs> and trey's the same way like uh chalk dust torture is another one where you know i i say you know the wind buffs the cabin I'm bought for the price of a flagon of rice. The wind buffs the cabin. You speak of your And I said to Trey, you know, that, that cabin really has been buffed enough or something like that. And he, uh, <laughs> he's, he's mad at me because he says, that's my favorite lyric. But he'll say that anytime I tell him I want to go back and revisit some of these lyrics. Oh, oh. so as far as he's concerned, once it's done, it is set in stone. Uh, I, I think so. Yeah. I believe maybe we've gone back and changed a few you know, ands or buts or something that might kind of change the meaning in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and uh, you know, if, if Trey realizes that, you know, indeed it could be better with the, the inclusion or, or, or changing of one small word, he's willing to do it. But no way would he ever, you know, once it's like recorded as a studio record, that's it. You yeah, know? and that's the fact. I mean, once it's out in the world, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> it's not really yours anymore. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the audiences, it's the worlds, it's the fans. Right. And uh, to, to even make a, a slight change uh, could be seen as uh, heretical uh, and sacrilegious. You, you, you could possibly get uh, firebombed or, or, or burned or something like that. Oh, that uh, sounds from very, some people. <laughs> very, very painful. Um, <laughs> well, let's face it. When, when we say fish fanatics, we are not kidding. Uh, this band, uh, unlike most bands, have 
you know, a, an intense loyal following, right? Yep. It's full contact songwriting here. <laughs> full contact songwriting. Yeah. Yeah. You put your life in the hands every time you pick up that pen, don't you, Tom? <laughs> we did the reverse, though. Uh, funny you sort of say it. Once something's on the album, that's the way it is. But um, there's a song called Exilla. Which um, is kind of like a it's a rocker. Yeah, Axel from Hoist, right? Well, that's what I was going to say. So that one that made it on Hoist is actually Axilla Two. Yes, and um, was sort of done that under some kind of pressure, and I'm not sure what if it was Trey's internal pressure about the the Axilla One lyrics maybe being too raw for that album, and they were you know there were thoughts that that album was you know trying to become sort of like an accessible album with with hits and stuff on it. And maybe that these Axilla lyrics as they are, are too kind of crazy. And so we rewrote it and made it, I don't know, more user-friendly in a way. Uh huh. And then the band never plays it. They only play the original. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, it, it could go either way then. Uh, uh, well, I guess maybe that's the, uh, the exception to the rule. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of yeah. the inverse exception. <laughs> the inverse exception, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's let's get a little bit of your musical background. Um, uh, I think uh, you do play music. Uh, I think you've had a, a band that is on hiatus at present uh, called Amphibian, um, but uh, you uh, you you play keyboards uh, and I think you sing uh, along with your lyric writing, right? Uh, yes, um, my my dad was a pianist, and okay. uh, so kind of a musical household. He was a great player would he had sort of like a like almost a best of classical um book that he could pretty much play uh you know the the top 50 classical songs kind of at least make an attempt like uh you know Rachmaninoff uh, prelude in c minor was my favorite um oh wow that's serious stuff. <laughs> yeah yeah and so i never actually got to the level where i could play those um, but I always, you know, I had lessons and uh, did a few things and kind of fancied myself an okay player at one point. Okay enough to, in one incarnation of my band Amphibian, I think in 1999 to, to 2000, 2001, I was the keyboardist singer guy. And then uh, shortly after that was replaced by uh, an ever-improving series of keyboardists, and I just sort of stood up behind the mic uncomfortably. Uh, uncomfortable, yes. I, I, I think um, you, you're you not a big stage fanatic, right? You don't uh, uh, pine for the adulation of the audience. That's right. However, that said, there's nothing more fun than seeing, you know, being on stage and providing fun to people yeah, in the yeah. audience and making music uh, yes. uh, with the, a, a, you know a, a set of people yeah. uh, all at the same time but i always felt like yeah i'm definitely an awkward front man i would prefer to be you know sitting down behind the keyboards in the side of the stage and have someone else in the limelight okay all right so let's get to how you and Trey met um, unlike the Beatles, uh, you are most certainly the fifth member of Fish. So that's funny you say that. So um, there's a guy who uh, has given himself the nickname CK5, Chris Carota, 
and five indicating that he's the fifth member of the band. And I don't argue with that because he actually does perform Off with stage. them uh, every yes. night, okay. and he's their lighting okay. guy. Right. And the lights, if you go to a fish concert, you know, are a massively integral part of the experience. Oh, without doubt. And so uh, CK5, uh, and then I play off that with a T-shirt a friend made for me. That So I'm TM6. TM6, okay. <laughs> so you're the sixth member, the official sixth member. Oh, I'm glad we got that straightened out. Uh, so tell us about the first time you heard the band play one of your songs. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, it's funny... That might have been something on. Um, that might have been something on Lawn Boy. Yeah, I was going to say probably Lawn Boy because I think Junta, you you weren't uh, uh, writing lyrics, right? Correct. So as far as like Fish playing, you know, Trey playing me, I remember it was like Junta being their first album, uh, right. Lawn Boy being the second, right? And so the first time I heard a studio rendering, uh, you know, professional studio rendering of one of my songs by the band Fish was probably uh, when they were playing in Ardmore, um, and I forget the name of the venue, like 24 East or something, in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, and Trey, at the time, they drove in their own instruments and stuff, so I sat into Trey, in Trey's car, and he played me a cassette of, uh, you know, the early versions of... of oh, the, the early mixes. Of the Lawn Boy album, uh -huh. yes. Uh -huh. So that might have been the first time I heard that, but... I had heard, you know, um, I'd seen Fish play many times, and they would do songs that I had a hand in lyric writing, like McGrupp and the Watchful Hose Masters, yeah. which I wrote a long time ago with Trey. So narrowing down exactly when the first time I heard Fish play, that's one thing, but that was the first time I heard Fish, you know, a studio version of my song. Sitting in the car with Trey in yeah. a cassette uh, yep. of early mixes from yes. Longboy. Yep. Uh, that must have been quite... Uh an experience hearing your work played back to you in a professional manner. Yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, especially like, because that's not how it all began. I, no. I think, uh, you and, and Trey, um, well, let's, let's go back a little bit. So I, I, I did, did you and Trey grow up, uh, in grade school? Um, I, I think by the time you get into high school, there's a little bit of a split, but, but before that, uh, was it junior high or was it elementary school in, in New Jersey? The real quick way of saying this story is that um, at Princeton, New Jersey, which is where Trey and I were at that, I think he came from another part of the country initially, but where I first bumped into him was like, uh, we were in the public school system, but Princeton had different public schools, but we some, you know, we did things together. And so I was aware of, of him, this redheaded dude, uh, but we never really became friends until both our parents put us in eighth grade at Princeton Day School. And so that's uh, when grade. Okay. Yep, that's when we met. And at the time, so about 13. Uh, yes. Yeah. And at the time I was, I yeah, think you're the just only developing your, your <clears throat> musical tastes at that point. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And his was much better developed than mine, even though I had the benefit of having an older, a six year older than, than me, uh, sister, with really cool boyfriends that play guitar and really cool musical tastes. Like that's why I knew like black Sabbath and stuff like that, but nowhere near as developed as Trey. And, you know, Trey was already going into New York city and seeing bands and stuff because he had supremely cool parents that, that were extremely hip on, on current music as well. Oh really? Oh okay. yeah. Like Ernie, his dad, um, Trey's actually 
Ernest Anastasio III, which is Trey, the num- number three. Trey is a nickname for when you're the third. Um, so Ernie's the yes. second or junior. Mm-hmm. And okay. Ernie's, like, you know, he saw Creedence Clearwater Revival, their very first concert. Many, many, and, and he's very widely versed in, he's seen jazz, everything. He's he's just an incredible music uh uh, like consumer, a, a real music connoisseur, yeah, yeah, yeah a yeah. live music connoisseur. Uh-huh. Yep, uh-huh. and it just so happens his son's the, you know, <laughs> the purveyor of an extreme version of live music, and Ernie's probably one, you know, yeah, seen, with a myriad of influences. Yeah, seen mm-hmm. most of those shows. Well, many, many of those shows. Wow. Okay, so you guys meet at thirteenth, uh, at, at the age of thirteen, uh, uh, in eighth grade. You know. Was it music immediately? Uh, you know, certainly, uh, this is uh, the mid '80s, right? Correct. So, no, so, might have even yes, yes, yeah, but early mid '80s, and um, so uh, you know, music is is still the the the, the cultural touchstone of the day. Uh, it, it it is what uh, uh, certainly uh, young boys uh, can find commonality in. Was 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 that what drew you guys together? Yeah, so uh, Princeton Day School, one, a class of 100 students, um, 50 girls, 50 boys, and there were something like six bands, and it was intensely musical, and I was the only keyboard player. So I remember playing at people's parties in one band and then playing uh, elsewhere in, a, in another band, and Trey at the time was a drummer, and uh, there were a bunch of drummers, a bunch of guitarists, and... Uh, so yeah, I was like, kind of had my choice of which band to be, and I guess if if I wanted to go that way, but rapidly found these two guys, David Abrahams and Mark Daubert. Mark Daubert eventually wound up in Fish briefly, um, early version of Fish as their percussionist when they were in Burlington, Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and we just wrote our own songs. And Trey, as he was converting from drummer to guitarist, uh, he would appear in our band, which would was called and back and when trey showed up in and back it was called bivouac <laughs> <laughs> oh and uh, bivouac isn't there a song uh, that comes out of that bivouac jaoon i think bivouac was a, jaoon yes. is like the album title okay yeah yeah all right all right <laughs> so now um uh so you've gotten to know trey uh and uh you are playing uh, on and off but not officially in a in a band is that right Correct, okay. and and he only lasted uh, in that particular school system, I think three years. I was sad to see him go uh, to Taft boarding school, where I think he redid tenth grade when he arrived there. Uh, his parents were going through a divorce. I think he was sort of a little bit of a difficult kid to have around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think he needed supervision, and uh, and they weren't uh, you know able to give him the supervision. You need a little bit more structure. I think um, maybe I don't know. I, I might be I might be making this up, but um, in any case, he uh, went to Taft, and so he has and Taft is in Connecticut. Right? Connecticut, yeah. yeah. So he has like this real cool group of Taft friends, of which uh, the person we mentioned earlier. Chris Cottrell, who died, uh-huh. he was in there. the Taft group, uh-huh. and then Trey also has his Princeton friends and Princeton musician pals, of which I'm there, and Peter Catoni, Roger Holloway, who both appear in uh, song title, uh, song lyrics, Roger and Pete the same, in, uh, uh, here's an example of, where, yeah. uh, is that ACDC bag? Is yeah. it from ACDC bag? Roger and Pete the same. 
You would know better than me. Well, anyway. <laughs> I will research it and let the folks know uh, at the end. Um, uh, but uh, that's a great song, uh, by the way. Uh, I believe that's also, that's from the Game That's Hinge. Wilson. Sorry, that's the song Wilson. From, oh, okay, so it's Wilson. Again, yeah. from the, the Game Hinge uh, uh, series. And we'll get to that in a, in a bit. So let, let's talk a little bit about um, your your process, uh, you know, your lyric writing. I think um, uh, it started off where, uh, and, and with Trey leaving um, and moving to this other school uh, further away, um, you guys still communicated. Uh, you would send him lyrics, right? Right. And this is, you know, pre-internet, pre-email. And this was, I would just write down by hand lyrics until I had enough of them and would actually ship them in an envelope to him and then uh, kind of wouldn't really know what happened. I sent him a story called Sloth. So Sloth became a song name, but the story really didn't enter into it and it became a character name in Gamehenge. I'm lucky to have named many of the characters in Gamehenge because of a song that I sent him also as a poem. And never really knew what happened to it until years later. <laughs> until it gets called, up in his, called, in his, uh, uh, his thesis, right? Yes, called <laughs> McGrupp and the Watchful Hose Masters. Uh-huh. And in that, if you listen, are named a lot of the characters that appear later in the in this story. It's sort of a rock opera that yes. we're talking yeah. about yeah. called yeah. Game Henge. Yeah, yeah. Okay, since we brought it up, let, let, let's explain to uh, those that aren't um, uh, fish fanatics uh, what Game Henge was. As, as, as I just said, it, it was originally his senior thesis uh, in college uh, in Burlington, Vermont, right? He, okay, so he started at Burlington, Vermont, and that's where he met Fish, the drummer, and Mike Gordon, the bass player, and some other... It was uh, Goddard, Goddard College, right? Right, but then he eventually moved over where Paige was, uh, the keyboard player, um, to Goddard College, um, which was more of a design-your-own-major kind of uh, school. And that's, I think, what he submitted as his senior project. Okay, okay. So, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit, but back to the process. So <clears throat> this just started off with you trying to continue a relationship with a friend who now has moved away, right? Yeah, and I remember specifically one time my mom saying to me, and this is after Trey had already left uh, our left Princeton and was in school in Connecticut. And, uh, you know, I was still doing music and I had a few bands and was doing stuff. And my mom once said to me, and I remember this very, very clearly. Um, it, so she calls me Tommy. She was like, Tommy, of all your friends who play music, are any of them actually going to make it? And I said, unhesitatingly, I said, Trey. And she said, oh, well, stick with him then. <laughs> Great advice, Mom. <laughs> that born fruit now, didn't it? <laughs> it really did. And it's amazing. And uh, yeah, so actually, you know, based on advice from my mom, I just kept sending him lyrics because he, um, as we all know, all Fish fans can come up with a lot of music. And uh, he's a great lyricist as well, but prefers to spend his time Composing, on the music, composing on the instrumentation music. itself. Yes. Okay. And for whatever reason, he liked my sense of humor or, or whatever it was. I mean, music together back in eighth and ninth grade was strictly to make our friends laugh. It really was. 
Oh, so the insider uh, jokes uh, began back then. Oh, yeah. No question. Because let's face it, Fish is famous for a lot of insider jokes. And in fact, that that's part of uh, uh, the price of admission to become a fan, I believe, is to uh, delve deep into uh, the vortex of insider jokes. Oh, yeah. Or suffer through them, you know, <laughs> as you're standing there wondering what, what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just... <laughs> Is this real or are they pulling my leg? Right, right. <laughs> wow. Okay, so um, uh, I believe that he started uh, communicating back to you, right? Um, well, yeah. So, like I said, fax machines became a thing. And then um, the way that, you know, I would send him lyrics and sometimes by fax or, or, or by actual mail. Then it started being the way that he would give me uh, an idea that he was using one of my lyrics would be to leave a message on my uh, recording machine. What's, what do they call it? Uh, <laughs> answering oh, machine. The, the actual physical <laughs> the, voice. The actual uh, answering mail, machine, uh, yeah. Answer, and, oh, that's right. They called them answering yes, machines. Yes, before, yeah. before voicemail, <laughs> there were machines in your house that answered your phone. Yes, kids, if only you could <laughs> have lived in those tough times. <laughs> and if only I'd saved some of the early tray... Uh, messages that he put on there. They were absolutely delightful. You do realize that uh, five people are now scouring the uh, the dumpsters of New Jersey <laughs> to find these uh, answering machines and discover these Good unreleased luck. songs. Good luck. Sadly, the, the way that those worked is that you would tape yeah, over. you just tape over. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. All right. <clears throat> so you guys are developing a, a process. Um, did it, did, was it just organic or did you guys talk about, oh, let's try this, let's try that? Uh, in in this songwriting uh, duo, well, so that describes the phase where uh, you know Fish is just kind of getting out of the gate, just becoming, you know, so like eighty seven or whatever, um, eighty eight, becoming a, a, a band that plays largely in Vermont, but you know, venturing out now and then, and they're just getting bigger. And so that's kind of how we wrote just remotely where I would send him lyrics. But pretty rapidly, um, we realized that we enjoy writing together better. And I could take an active part in the music crafting as well. You know, okay. the, crafting mm -hmm. the song, crafting the harmonies, which is my favorite. And also, you know, taking part in what's a verse, what's a chorus, that kind of thing. And the structure of a song, which I love. That's that's. And so Trey and I got really good at... at creating, you know, working with multi-track recorders and layering songs together. And uh, we would quickly write two or three or four songs, just like the old days, like we used to in eighth grade. And uh, we're, we're still doing that today. When we get together, we get together for like two or three days. And we usually have 10 songs by the end of it. And they're fully formed. They have all the parts. Trey plays all the instrumentation, even the keyboards. He's a better pianist than I am. Um, and... Uh, I get to help with the structuring of, of the song, like I said, but mm -hmm. also get to sing. So very involved in the arrangement and then the vocal melodies. Yep. And also... And I, the harmonies. Yes. Okay. Wow. And the process is the same. It hasn't changed much over the last 30 odd years? Well, with technology comes the ability to do some crazy stuff, but we... Trey likes good mics and likes good um, preamps. And stuff like that, stuff we didn't have or could afford when we were younger. Um, but we like to remain limited on the number of tracks we use. So you could 
you could record into Logic or into a computer, into a MacBook, and have unlimited tracks, but that's not what we uh, do. So like a holdover from our old writing method is that we usually either have 8 or 16 tracks. And the cool thing there is... So you still keep it to 8 or 16 tracks. Yep, and with the rule is no bouncing. So you're not allowed to like mix those 8 down into uh -huh. 1 and, and then and keep then adding. Track. Right. Right. right, so once it's full, and it makes you think a little bit like, Oh, we got to make sure we leave a track for the the harmony or or for the guitar solo, or remember we wanted that other percussion here kind of thing. So it makes so you it plan causes ahead. A discipline that you you have to yes. maintain. And the best thing about it is when it's done, it's done, and you move on and you write another song. Right, right, right. Yeah, because yeah, given uh, the technology today, you know, you could go on forever, uh, all a Bohemian Rhapsody or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yep. Tubular bells, 100 yep. overdubs. You would never, <laughs> ever, we would never stop. We could stay in the studio and, and write a song like that. We did. We got hung up on the song um, Bug, uh, like two two days of trying to record Bug. Uh, that was with, sort of, with this process of, of maintaining eight to 16 tracks. Well, this one, yeah. I think this time we might have, this might have been our first time we vent, we had two ADAP machines. So we actually had 16 tracks, which was a, lux a luxury. But we rapidly learned that, you know, you could get caught, and we did. We got caught just trying to make it better and better and putting more stuff on. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, have you had setbacks uh, that, uh, you know, just go, oh, geez, this is, this is not working? Um, I mean, I'm sure you've had songs like that, but uh, uh, where you've had to, you know, reinvent how you guys work together. No. Um, yeah, setbacks are like, they're individual songs or setbacks and it has to do with like the mood, you know, like if you're, if we're too tired or something and we keep going and the song just becomes like a little bit of a burden, but we, you know, we don't blame each other. It's like, it's some, it's one of the cool things about our collaboration is that, you know, we recognize that and, and we always know that we can always just move on by creating a new song. Mm -hmm. So there's many songs that are sort of like, in their early embryonic stages that might be good songs if we went back and visited. And it's something I've always wanted to do. And we never actually have like listen to old, the entire recording sessions, because by the time we emerge, we know that there's like six that are our favorite. And then what happens with those other four, it's not really clear. Hmm. Okay. So between um, a lawn boy and, um, and I think Story of the Ghost, you guys worked hand in hand uh, as fishes rising uh, through the ranks and, and becoming a, a very well-known uh, rock and roll outfit, right? Well, Picture of Nectar came in between there, and that was their first uh, Electra release. That was when they first signed a recording contract. Yeah, okay, okay. So uh, 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 Junta and... Um, uh, Longboy, Longboy, and then Billy Breeze were self-released. Okay, and then then came Picture of Nectar chronologically, and that was when they signed with Elektra. And then it would be, um, yeah, Story of the Ghost and uh, Hoist, Hoist, and oh Rift, Rift. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. Rift, Hoist, Billy Breeze, and so oh, so Billy Breeze yes. was part of, of Elektra, and 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 each one is just the audience is is growing massively um oh yeah uh, i mean by by the end of the of the decade uh the end of the millennium <laughs> when you get down to it um you know fish is like the biggest band in the country uh, at least touring wise they had kind of emerged as one of the biggest live acts i remember back when billboard magazine 
uh, would like in one of their end of year. Actually, it might might have been a weird magazine like Fortune or Forbes where they. Yeah, Pop- yeah, yeah. They're yeah. calculating the the, the, the highest dollars. grossing right. act, right. and Fish was in there with yeah. Cher and Kiss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And but and but at the same time, nobody, nobody, you know, they were under the radar. They, there, there's not a lot of radio play with Fish. Exactly. Yeah, and when radio was important uh, in those days, Correct. that must have been pretty wild to a wild ride to be on. Yeah, it was amazing, and you know, you never really knew. They just kept getting bigger and better, right? You never knew, was this whole thing going to turn around and, you know, go? the car was going to be backed back into the garage and the door closed, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it kind of nice just... metaphor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it just kind of kept going and it was amazing. And it's like, these are our really close friends and suddenly they're like mega superstars. It was very, very fun ride to be on for the, those of us who, you know, are were close to, yeah, to, uh, to the machine until about 2000. And I think just the weight of all of uh, this begun uh, to hang on the guys. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had their, their perils of, um, you know, rock, rock star excesses and touring. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And they kind of fell into a couple of the, of, of the pitfalls that you, that are available to you as a rock star. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 You, yeah. You, you know, you're, you're basically a, a you know, living, breathing uh, God, especially at that time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's the thing. That's kind of like what, that is how people get addicted when they're, when they're, when they're rock stars, I think is like, you are the top dog when you're on stage and then you go backstage and you have to be the top dog backstage too. So you have to out party everyone. Then meanwhile, everyone that you out party goes home and go, goes to sleep, whereas you get on a bus and then do it the next day. So it's like <laughs> you don't you don't get to rest really ever. Yeah, it's not it's not a, a normal uh, no. human activity, right? Uh, and it's and it's a it's a constant um, uh, ping pong of uh, emotions yeah. uh, from uh, exhilaration to exhaustion, right? Yeah, yep, yep. And self-medication it becomes, uh, it, it becomes almost a thing. required. Yep, becomes a thing. Yeah. And uh, if you don't care, you know, if you're not careful, yeah. just like, you know, just like uh, back pain medication. Yeah, yeah, Anything. yeah. Oh, yeah, it, it, that can easily turn into an addiction. Right, yep. right, right, right. So uh, when did you first say to yourself or tell your parents, um... I think I'm a professional lyricist. <laughs> Never really. So I, um, you know, I was a computer science graduate from Rutgers uh, University in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and uh, I just always kept the job um, until uh, my final. You know, I, I I bounced from place to place, and I was writing lyrics as I was working. But apart from that the fish, you know, money as it came in and kind of kept growing, which was nice. It became a supplementary income. Um, but I never really, uh, again, like I was never really sure. Can I like count on it? Sometimes it would vastly exceed my, uh, programming, uh, salary, but sometimes it would vastly not. Right. And you could never predict well, or, let's or face it, Fish it. is not exactly a hit-making machine. Right. Uh, it's a touring act that where where it's, you know, uh, this massive uh, 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 rock and roll band, right? Right, right. And, you know, they, you know, Trey's, Trey's my really good friend and, and I think recognized that, you know, 
compensation as a songwriter for a band that doesn't um, uh, have a radio hit, say, uh, might be a little less than it than it could be or should be. You know, it's like sort of like a disproportional amount of money coming to the songwriters, disproportionately small. Um, and was always trying to, you know, they've always been really cool and always had really cool ways of, of uh, benefiting the from the live show. And uh, right now they have something called Live Fish, where people are very uh, lucky to be able to get super high quality shows almost immediately after they after they play them. Yeah. And that's that's been good for me as well. OK, so you're a part of that as well. Yes. Oh, that's very cool. That's very cool. So, are are did, how long did you keep the day job as a computer programmer? Two thousand five, I became my own boss and never looked back. Oh, you did. So up until that time, during this whole uh, explosion of them, you I know, had a full rising time. up through yep. the 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 mist to become this you know behemoth of, yes. a, of a touring act. You're still every day uh, in front of the keyboard uh, doing the computer program. Oh yeah. Yep. And I I. You know, I was laid off from that job right into Fish's uh, big hiatus. So it was kind of like... Oh, bad time. Yeah, I was thinking... Hmm, <laughs> the, maybe... first hi- the first hiatus, right? <laughs> uh, that would be their second oh, one, the, the, which, which started was... in 2004 and went to 2009. Yeah, that which was a long time. And I think a lot of people were concerned that they may not come back uh, uh, with that one. I mean, the first hiatus was kind of to just get away from the the craziness is yeah. that sound right well kind of yeah and the first i mean both of them had the same intent but uh the first one they never um they kept the entire uh staff they did oh, employed okay. and that turned out to be a mistake because anytime any there was any movement like in trey's house people would say okay the, the, it's over here, we're going back here on we tour. go we're yeah. back on the road <laughs> right, right, right. Um, oh yeah you must yeah because their livelihood is all dependent on this they're just waiting yes, with waiting breath right? and probably the manager was calling trey and saying do you know how much money we're losing this month because yeah. you're not on tour so uh the second time there was a break um you know to make people healthy uh it was needed and they, uh, you know, they laid off everyone. They fired everyone. Every, it was like a big bloodletting. Ooh, and that but that's kind of the way that it had to happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think uh, it's not too dissimilar. And in you know, uh, in some ways, Fish does follow the, uh, uh, you know, a precursor, uh, the Grateful Dead. Um, you know, they they kind of had to go through that themselves. Although I think they went through three or four iterations before they finally, you know, I think Phil said no we we have to let everybody go otherwise uh um you know this is this is not really gonna we're not really getting away from it so so this second time um fish did that and uh and it lasted for five years right yep and they had said many times that this is it we're done and it's over yeah and uh this time they uh, put their money you know kind of where their mouth is and and really stopped fish shut down the machinery yeah and, but Trey didn't stop. He just kept on moving like a shark. Right. And the kind of cool thing for me was now I'm, you know, I'm free as well. Uh, this is, you know, 2005 onwards and uh, was able to do a lot of writing and uh, kind of found, I guess, a, a, you know, a resurgence of my own writing and uh, eventually those lyrics got to Trey and connected uh, and we started writing again. It was really awesome. 
So from uh, from, from in, in 2005 with the second hiatus is 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 when you guys were able to get back together and really put something uh, pen to paper, huh? Um, kind of. There was a few challenges in his uh, his life at the moment that that um, prevented us from writing for a, a little bit of that that hiatus period. Uh, but toward the end, we we did get back together and started writing in earnest again. So let's um, uh, let's take a few songs, not too many. And, uh, you know, yes, we could spend hours and hours. In fact, I'm sure there's people listening right now that would prefer that and to hit every single song that you guys have done. But that's just impossible. So we're just going to take a couple to discuss their origin and creation. Um, and, and the first one I picked is because it, it means the most to me because it's the first fish song I ever heard. Um, and that's down with disease. How did the process of that song come about? And, you know, what can you tell us about it? Well, so <clears throat> the very beginning it is down with disease, three weeks in my bed, trying to stop these demons that keep dancing in my head. Uh, the first lines of the song, yes. First lines of the song. And that was literally uh, taken from the fact that I was uh, three weeks laid up with mononucleosis. Um, and it was one of these weird diseases where there's like no pain and you don't feel sick. You just, I couldn't like fatigue is fatigue. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so I just, uh, it was an interesting one because I got three weeks off of my work. Um, and it was a little scary. Like the first day I woke up with the disease, um, I, I couldn't move my arms. I like, uh, they were, they were really heavy. <laughs> and I had to kind of roll out of bed and wiggle across the floor and called my mom because I was living in an apartment at the time. And she came over, went to the doctors. And uh, I guess that, that the lyrics sort of just blossomed from from that experience. So it's a true story. Just those lyrics, you know, everything else like down with disease, jungles in my mind. They're climbing up my waterfalls and swinging on my vines. That's, again, trusting the muse like I was telling you about. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So you do, do you just open yourself up to um, uh, to the universe and uh, you know you, you know is it difficult to get started or or does you know is it is it the old uh, you know shower idea of yeah. uh, you know you just go oh hey I got a line and uh, I start think so there. I think so you know like you put a whatever it is like a I'm thinking of this uh, uh, thing this image where like someone puts a you, and you've seen it before, like a, a into super cold water, they plunge like a pencil or a spoon, and then all of a sudden the crystals form around it, and the whole thing becomes frozen solid. Yeah. So that idea, that one line that starts it all, is kind of I very much do work that way, okay. and it can be something that someone says in a conversation, or you know, and I, I spin it around in my head for a while, and then all of a sudden um, a song will kind of jar loose and, and then I, I got to bring it to paper. Um, so uh, do you uh, like, uh, you know, uh, to, to uh, paraphrase uh, Roger Waters, uh, do you, is there a little black book with me poems in it? Um, that's always been online for me. I've always used the computer to compose lyrics always, but, but um, yes, there are several of those, you know, moleskin black books and I've used them like as lyric ideas when, you know, just if I happen to be using that book. Uh, but for the most part now, it's like an iPad or, or the phone. I'll use the note, the notes app and just write, jot them in there. 
Okay, okay. But you use the computer more often. So you sit in front of a blank screen and just start typing, and then <laughs> you can edit, and you can right. uh, exactly. uh, you know, make changes immediately. Yes. Uh, there's no scratching. Uh, Correct. You know, and so, so the whole process is right there in front of you in real time. Right. So the ideas could be like in one of those books that you were talking about, like the, the, the first... A, a quick phrase. The first line. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the actual composition... Uh, usually happens in an email, which I send to my friend Scott Herman, uh, and that's sort of like the first step in in the song's life. And I've been doing. Are you that. waiting for Scott's uh, like uh, yeah. approval or something? Uh, Affirmation. Know. Hey, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. And then you'd go, oh, uh, it's good to go. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've like he's been around for since the very first uh, album. He's he. He affirmed that the Lawn Boy lyrics were good. And in fact, wrote a second verse, like a rejoinder to it, which didn't ever make it, sadly, into the song. Uh-huh. Um, same thing with Squirm and Coil. Uh, it's like, uh, I saw Satan on the beach trying to catch a ray. That's Scott Herman's line. Very cool. All right, so let's let's move on um, to Farmhouse, which is, you know, probably the most famous um, a fish song for the general uh, audience out there. It's it's the number one uh, fish song on Spotify. So t- t- talk to us about that. And I think this one was the first that you guys did after the first hiatus, right? Um, I, I'll have to de- defer to you on the timing for that. I uh-huh. think this one was, no, this one was definitely written in the 97 era, 96, 97 era. Oh, it was. Yeah, and... Uh, Oh, that's right. I think this was the last album before the hiatus. Quite, quite possibly mm-hmm. the farmhouse album, and uh, this one was uh, actually a literal farmhouse, and uh, walked into it, and because the band tried to get away uh, and 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 sequester themselves, uh, in right or at least Trey is, is that right? Well, this this was just following up on Trey's and my commitment to get a weekend away from it all and at the time we had young kids so it was like getting away from the families and we found the best coolest way to do that was um have beth who uh still works in the fish office uh very much is is probably the longest employee of fish um she uh would uh rent a farmhouse like in stowe vermont Uh and uh at the time paul and carini uh hey guys uh um would take the van of you know a couple of trays guitars an acoustic an electric and a bass and a modified uh practice kit from fishman uh you know all in the fish barn and would grab uh you know a keyboard like a Rhodes and maybe a synthesizer and then that rack that i was telling you about of trays um recording equipment and and preamps and and then throw a bunch of mics and cables and speakers and crap, close the van up and then drive to the farmhouse before Trey and I got there and set it all up. So there's like a bass station, a guitar station, a vocal station, a keyboard station. And when Trey and I arrive, Trey would pick me up at the airport and then we'd drive to it. Um, Those guys are about ready to go, but they make sure that everything works. So Trey always does something called a test tune where every... So we test that the you know the mixer the Mackie is hooked up correctly to the to the um, recording device whatever uh-huh, it is uh-huh. an ADAT at the time probably um, and uh, you know wants to make sure that the signals are correctly routed but also 
um, that every one of the stations works. So he puts something with bass down, he'll put a, a guitar track down, he'll put a keyboard track down, and then all of a sudden he goes, okay, Tom, sing. And the song was kind of like a little bit like Bob Marley's No Woman, No Cry. And um, I sort of uh, didn't know what to sing. And, you know, he pressed record and I was there with a mic, staring at a mic. So I saw this scrap of paper on the table and just grabbed it. And it said, welcome, this is a farmhouse. We have cluster flies. And then I added alas, because it fit into the pattern. Yeah. And 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 then this next time is... Was wow, written. that's struck by lightning. Yeah, and it said, and this time of year is bad. We are so very sorry. There's little we can do but swat them. And that was a note from the cleaning woman or maybe from the, the landlord uh, who uh, was explaining to us why, the, I guess, there were flies or something. <laughs> and <laughs> so that, that one was uh, memorialized in song. And then the rest, uh, Trey and I wrote together. The She didn't beg, oh, not enough. She didn't stay when things got tough. I told a lie, she got mad. She wasn't there when things got bad. And then I never ever saw the Northern Lights was because Trey and I on the way to the farmhouse for the first time in Vermont saw Northern Lights. Wow, really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and so you, you wrote the inverse. You, you'd never seen them until that very moment. Right. I never, ever yeah. saw the Northern uh, Lights. Then, uh, uh, yeah, that's in, amazing. Implied that's amazing. until yeah. today. So again, taking real life and then building from there. Yep. Yep. Okay. So. Yep. All right. All right. Well, uh, let's move to the next song, which is uh, I, I chose it because it, it, it was David Letterman's favorite song, who was one of the first to expose fish nationally on television, uh, and he asked them to play "Chop Dust Torture." Yes, David Letterman liked fish, and or at least pretended to convincingly, and I think really did, and did ask for that particular song, even though I think they played it the the time before and it wasn't from the current album that fish was was pushing was promoting at the time <laughs> right, right, right but that but, was fine yeah. and uh so they played it yeah that one is one of the ones that i was telling you about where uh some of those lyrics are are the are the kind that i might regret later in life <laughs> just because they made it made it to trey and we never had the editing phase kind of thing so you know I'm Jasmine, the family berserker. What what is that? What is a mirth beaten worker? I don't know. But these these lyrics have become such an integral part of Fish, and that song is such a jam vehicle. Oh that, God, yes. That I think people just kind of either they just get through the lyrics to the jam, or or they even have you know begrudgingly started liking the lyrics. All right, <laughs> over <so>. time. <laughs> uh, uh, and we, I won't dive too deep uh into this because we only have so much time but you know the 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 song evokes to me i i, I don't know chalk dust torture uh um you know school and yes. uh, to trying to get to the end of it or finish it or just get the hell out of it or or some sort of like uh it's finals time or what have you and this giant release because as you said it's a jam vehicle and boy do they release with the when they get into the jam well that that's exactly what it was it was kind of like um you know a rebellion against school kind of so to speak like why do you have to sit and get educated uh when you're young when you should be out having fun and playing music and going to shows right. or whatever and so it's like who can unlearn all the facts that i've learned as i sat in their chairs and my synapses burned and the tor torture of chalk dust collects on my tongue thoughts fo follow my vision and dance in the sun because i'm looking outside now um all my vasoconstrictors they come slowly undone can't i live can I, oh, this, these lyrics, 
Oh, the, you're reading. You're reading. Uh, I'm reading. The, the online lyrics, and they're wrong. Yeah, they're wrong. God damn it! Can't this wait till I'm old? Can't I live while I'm young? They they left out the can't this wait uh, till I'm old. So that that's the that was my implication. Is like yeah, maybe we you should get educated and do schooling later in life <laughs> and have fun while you're young. I I, I agree. <laughs> uh, and uh, you just made my day because uh, you just you the author just uh, 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 repeated the lyrics that I have sung at the top of my lungs a million times. So uh, thank you very much for that. Happy uh, to do it. <laughs> all right. So uh, one more, uh, and that's Divided Sky, because Spin Magazine in 2014 ranked all 333 songs, both original and covers, and Divided Sky was number one. Awesome. Well, thank you. I get credited on that one, but in a weird way, if you listen to Divided Sky and if you're a Fish fan, you know this well, there's about three seconds of lyrics in right, it right. in, in a song that's often 20 minutes long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and those, those three seconds of lyrics are Divided Sky, the wind blows high. And yes, I, I, I'm not even sure that's three seconds, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say it a few times. Um, and, and, uh, that, yes, was indeed written by Trey and myself on this um, work of art called New Peace by an artist called Tony Smith, who uh, recently uh, departed this this plane of existence. Um, but his artwork is all around the New York, New Jersey area. I've found companion pieces to the rhombus. But what the rhombus is, is a, it's, a, it's actually a rhomboid solid, which is sort of like a squished cube. And the rhombus is still on the grounds, but at the time it was in the backyard, I, I, used, I like to say, uh, of this place called the Institute for Advanced Study. And that's like where Einstein and Oppenheimer, um, you know, came up with the early ideas of how to how to do the bomb and, and stuff like that. That's right. Um, and uh, but anyway, the 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 place is like this revered educational institute. And um, in it was very peaceful back there. And this really cool piece of art, probably about eight feet tall. The hard part was to get on it. We called it mounting the rhombus. But once you were on it, that was part of the ritual. And we would always get on at night, right? So the grass had dew in it. So it was very slippery and it was difficult to get up. But once you got up, um, it rewarded you because it kind of had this... Um, and you had to hit it hard. So we, our hands would hurt after after drumming on it for a while. But it would reward us by echoing sort of like this roar underneath us so we would always start with a percussion jam and in this one particular evening where this fog had kind of descended um the clock tower of this beautiful venerable building the the main building of the institute for advanced study um one of the lights on the entire side of the main clock bell tower uh was out and the light the side that was on was the light side of the sky and the side that was off was the dark side of the sky. And the dividing line went right over us. And uh, we took particular notice of this, possibly through chemical enhancement as well. <laughs> but um, we <laughs> we were drumming, drumming. And then, of course, we had to pay tribute to that. And so we, we, we gave to, thanks to, to the gods at, the, at that moment with Divided Sky, the Wind Blows High. Amazing. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm not sure I'll listen to the song uh, the same again. <laughs> I hope I didn't ruin it for you. No, not at all. You've given more context to it. Oh, good. Uh, I'm very excited to uh, see Fish perform it again. Uh, I'll, I'll remember that. All right. And then uh, 
I hope we don't go too deep, but and I, I know every all the fish fans are going, no, please, deep, deep. But the we we have to talk about one of the most unique uh, concepts or uh, concept albums in rock and roll history, and that's Gamehenge, um, which was I believe it was Trey's uh, senior thesis uh, uh, in in at Goddard. Um, and that a lot of the lyrics started like were, were, were from from when you guys first started uh, uh, writing together uh, uh, apart, right? Yes. So just to make the record clear, Gamehenge is never was released by Fish as no. an album. No. So no. instead, it's this. No. We've thing. all been waiting for it. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I know. That, I know that that is a that is a big topic of like one day they're gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it should come out as a, as a movie or something. But um, the uh, the um, what was I going to say about Gamehenge? Oh, oh yeah, I used first. To... Let, let's explain what the basic story is because it, it's kind of like a sci-fi sort of thing, right? Well, sure. That so when it was kind of like another one of these mysterious aspects about the band Fish, who you know had semi-mysterious lyrics that you had to work a little bit to understand, semi-mysterious music that you had to sort of work to understand the way the band jams. And then they had what I called, they had their own religion that followed them around. <laughs> yes, and that was yes. Gamehenge. Yes. And when people, when when the band played it, they would often play the entire or, or, or a large portion, maybe three or four songs of Gamehenge. So that was called a Gamehenge night. And you were a noob until you happened to have uh, one of those Gamehenge nights under, yes. under your belt yeah. in your repertoire. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to ask, why do you think some people have such a hard time getting into the band? But you are answering it right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. And, and so uh, the story is ostensibly a... Um, uh, an evil ruler, Wilson. Uh, basically, it's like a Narnia-like uh, alternate universe that you get to. Uh, one way to it is through the rhombus. Um, but um, these details don't emerge in the music as much as uh, you know about a an evil despot called Wilson. And uh, he uh, holds the power over this... Uh, Otherwise, these peace, other creatures, otherwise peaceful uh, people called the lizards. Right. And and he stole their their source of power, which is the helping friendly book. And then there's all kinds of characters and a, a few other interesting, you know, turns of of plot that occur. But for the most part, that's sort of that's like the the general idea. And how many official songs are a part of Gamehenge? So on Trey's thesis that he submitted, which was a cassette tape with music that the band fish played um at goddard university um and he submitted a cassette and uh a, a pages of lyrics if i'm not mistaken i think there were nine songs nine official songs uh that tells the tale of the lizards and the evil uh, overlord wilson correct all right and <clears throat> to be an official fish fan you have to be at one of these special game hinge nights where they play at least a few songs, right? Yeah, you want to hear ACDC Bag and you want to hear The Lizards and you'd like to hear uh, McGrupp and The Watchful Hosemasters. You want to hear Colonel Forbin's Ascent. Uh, and then that would be a good game hinge night. Okay, people, I hope you all wrote that down and prepare when you go and see Fish uh, in the in the, in the the future. Yes, it's a... Uh, it, 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 
its own religion yeah. and sloth and llama that would be that that would be like that would the, be the ultimate the spice right? yeah the yeah. On, on the pizza <laughs> <laughs> all right what what song took you and trey the longest to finish any of these like a 30 year from start to first line to last line songs oh that's interesting um i was talking about the longest one earlier bug that that took you know hours of our songwriting uh weekend once but songs that have like been in existence and then occasionally come out there's like there's there's funny funny ones like there's one called if i could be a sailor which we wrote a long time ago and had one particularly sort of nasty verse in it that then appeared when they played uh i think gulf shores it's like a tiny little strip of alabama actually touches the gulf uh-huh and uh there's a, a venue there and and trey wanted a new song new in parentheses um air quotes <laughs> Um, and, uh, came out with, if I could be a sailor, even though we had probably written it 25 years prior. There you go. Okay. There is, there is at least one, uh, that it's, that's the longest, uh, I think uh so. song that, that you guys, uh, took to finish. And there's probably more, but I, that's the one I came up with. Uh, well, uh, you know, time marches on, um, it, you, <laughs> you know, you, you, there, I'm sure in the future there will be like, oh yeah, well now there's a 40 year song, yep. uh, out there. <laughs> So, uh, okay, uh, I'm going to begin to uh, switch uh, some subjects a little bit. But first thing I have to ask is I understand Billy Joel hates fish and that you're responsible for that. <laughs> that's that's completely part of the rumor. That's absolutely untrue. Um, Go on. None, none of it is true. Um, so uh, I think it was like friendly rivalry uh, over banners in uh, Madison Square Garden is how even it, you know, started, uh, even though it never really happened and it never really, nothing ever happened between the two bands or, or, or between Fish and Billy Joel. But I remember tweeting one something like um, uh, that Fish played four songs in a row, all originals, no covers and no repeats. And something like put that bread in your jar, piano man. <laughs> kind of just like, you know, friendly taunt. Uh-huh. And then some guy online, uh, people were wondering, what is what is Fish or what does Tom have against or what does Fish have against Billy Joel? Kinda and and then that laid the table for a person to create that rumor that he heard Billy Joel say that they're just nothing but a glorified cover band, which is not true. He never said it. A guy made that up. And then it kind of went from there. It went but, viral. Yeah. But they did have sort of like a little mini banner war where, uh, you know, Billy Joel claimed to have played. He definitely has played more times at MSG than Fish, but more times in a row. Like he, he he's loose with the term consecutive. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because uh, uh, there is the Baker's Dozen. Well, yeah. Which was at 13 shows in a row. It's legit. And, and not a single song repeat. Fish Fish's setup remained on stage for those for all of those shows, even though there were a few days off. That to me, nothing else happened at the garden in between. So oh. you can call that consecutive. Whereas <laughs> Billy Joel's consecutive, I think, and this is again me talking a little bit out of out of my ass because I don't really know this, but I think he he was kind of loosely, uh, you know, there'd be a Rangers game and then there'd be something else and then he'd play. And he'd call that two in a row, which 
to me, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Anyway, so that's like, uh, you, you know. <laughs> That's how that. So uh, the Billy Joel hates fish uh, rumor is really just uh, started by a Russian troll uh, out of the Internet Research Agency. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, when they're bored in between stealing elections, I'm sure. Well, I just interviewed Mike uh, for my uh, podcast, Under the Scales. Mike Gordon. Mm-hmm. Mike Gordon, and he met and knows Billy Joel, and that never came up. And he's the nicest guy ever, and. Uh, we can assume that if there was a problem that they wouldn't have had such a wonderful conversation and friendly conversation. Oh, I, that I am sure. I'm sure. Okay, so you're not just a lyricist, but uh, you're also a businessman. Um, the the first business I, I want to discuss, because it's so relevant uh, to us, is the Osiris Podcast Network. Um but I want, I, I want to bring in uh, your partner uh, here to talk a little bit about it, um, sure. uh, RJB. So uh, hold on one second. Let's, let's bring RJ in and, and talk a little bit about Osiris. Let's bring in the dude. RJB, welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock here uh, with your business partner, Tom Marshall. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big admirer of the show. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you very much for saying that. Um, so I, I asked Tom, um, you know, uh, we, we, we spent the last uh, hour talking about um, uh, his involvement in, uh, oh, this rock band. Uh, what were they called again? Fish. The, the fish. The fish. 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 Yeah. Oh, the fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Them. I was calling them fish the whole time. It's the fish. No, the fish. no, no, it's not. <laughs> a, a fish. A fish. Um, anyway. Uh, uh, but, uh, Tom is also involved in a, a couple of other things, uh, one of which is, uh, is podcasting. And since this is a podcast, uh, and, uh, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about, um, uh, uh, you guys, uh, starting this Osiris, uh, network. So my first question would be, how did that come about? Uh, well, it is a, it's a fascinating story. I think so. We'll we'll see if you agree, Christian. But um, Tom and I met uh, a few years ago through a mutual friend, and um, Tom told me that he was thinking about doing a podcast and asked me if I thought he should do a podcast. And I immediately said, "Yes, of course you should, because people will listen to it." And then we started talking almost right away about bringing... now you you had already had a a, a fish oriented podcast yes right? yep and now i'm now... not gonna let you gloss over that's the part that he glosses <laughs> over because he's very humble uh-huh. um but ordinary people ordinarily someone who has uh the only at the time or or the best listened to fish podcast might not encourage uh the band's lyricist to start one which would clearly <laughs> compete and instead, right. yeah and so i was sort of surprised and happily uh surprised by that which is why when later we decided to possibly work together and expand mm-hmm. our uh our you know our our family of podcasts so to speak which you know counting our two uh we knew another five or six people uh i was absolutely wanting to work with RJ and so it was uh, it, it was a well it was a, a well uh, put together plan uh well okay so so RJ you have this podcast okay. uh Tom has expressed an interest in uh, uh starting a podcast and a mutual friend had told you this right yep okay so uh they set you up uh you get the call uh what's it like hearing you know the lyricist for fish talking to you know you a yeah. fish expert for the first time <laughs> well it actually you'd be very surprised to, to learn that we actually met in the parking lot of a fish concert 
Um, so, no. <laughs> so that's that was our first conversation. It was great, and actually, um, I gave Tom a, a sticker of my podcast, the Helping Friendly Podcast. And I figured that, you know, Tom being the lyricist of Fish who gets f- stuff from fans all the time that he would put it in his pocket and then find it a couple of years later. But he immediately took the backy off the sticker and put it on his car. <laughs> and I was like, are you sure you want to do that? And I think it's still on your car. Really? Yeah. It is. So, so that was no, nice. That's a commitment right away. Exactly. No, we, and we, we hit it off. And, and, we did hit it off. And immediately started emailing back and forth. And, and we had both expressed the same idea, which is, what can we do to bring more people together and bring more podcasts together really to serve, you know, music fans. And Mm. that's where, that's where it started. So you start with the, the, the two podcasts, uh, under the scales and helping friendly podcast, right? And now you have, is it, is it about 30 shows, uh, on, uh, on the Cyrus network? Yeah. I think by the time this comes out, it will be 30 exactly. Um, cause we have one coming out, um, in just a couple of days, but yeah, the, started with I think 10 officially and a lot of them almost all of them that we have had existed before Osiris so you know there were friends who had been doing similar podcasts and then we reached out to a few a few reached out to us and yeah we sort of have built it organically and and helped several people start podcasts which has been which has been fun and then you know when we met you guys these these podcasts deeper digs and rock and roll archaeology to me are you know, the next sort of logical step, getting beyond our jam band kind of roots. Yeah, because right most most of the, the shows so far are are centered around this uh, uh, unique community uh, of yeah. uh, like-minded uh, people uh, and, and some um, uh, activities that surround that. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, hey, today's 420, so I think you have a weed show. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think you have a brew, uh, kind of a pubcast show. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so it's not just music. It's also uh, some of the, uh, the culture that surrounds it uh, as well. And now, uh, as, as we know, uh, uh, Deeper Digs in Rock and Rock and Roll Archaeology uh, are shared on the Osiris Network as well. So you're moving into, say, classic rock would be the next step. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, there's a lot of crossover. A lot of our, you know, fans of jam bands also love classic rock, of course. But Mm. there's also just, there's a great kind of community, you know, around rock as there is around jam bands and and so many other genres. That's why we're excited to to continue to build it and, and see what other, you know, passionate fans we can serve with great great content okay so both of you known uh, now as uh, podcasting thought leaders how do you like that oh wow uh, where do where do you see the future of podcasts going right now well it's it's interesting i think there's these like kind of competing viewpoints because of the the launch i think in just a couple of days of something called luminary which is going to be you know all original podcasts put behind a paywall of i think eight dollars a month yeah th- those folks have been given about a hundred million dollars to start a company without any uh, uh you know uh, proof of concept it's just yeah here, go and do it so talent some, you know? some real insiders i would assume yeah and just driven by big names and they're, mm-hmm. t- they're gonna have to build a user base from scratch and you know hope that they're big names um you know, carry them forward. But then, but well, I, this... you know, I think we'd all agree we're still in the infancy of this, yeah. uh, this new um, communication form, uh, which uh, I, I, you know, well, here, I'll ask you. I mean, do, do you think this will replace radio as we know it? It's more convenient radio because, uh, you know, in the old days, you had to sit and wait for your, your show to come on, and you only had that period where it was on, and then 
you couldn't listen to it anymore. Yeah, unless, and you're also geographically you, limited. And yep. geographically, right. So now you're geographically unlimited and also unlimited by time. Which Choice, is kind of, yeah. yeah kind of cool. Yeah. On demand, yeah. yeah. And no, I would it, say it, also this, the, the, the topics are so focused. You can find a podcast uh, literally about anything at almost any level of depth of detail. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I, I think about it like how TV changed, you know, from um you you had to like thomas describing with radio you had to sit there and wait for the cosby show to come on or whatever on thursday nights at eight i think is what when i was a kid <laughs> i don't know if that's the best example to bring up uh <laughs> right. RJ, um, but sure i get your point i'm um, sorry that was a uh, show the that ted was... bundy hour <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much better show yeah so now now you have tv on demand of course and what comes out of it is these different more fractured you know companies that are providing tv content to people in different ways and and you can get them whenever you want wherever you want and i think podcasting is probably going to go that way but the paywall thing is sort of a you know that's a big debate because podcasting being free has always been free has yeah. always been like a big part of it and i don't know if that's an intellectual you know thing that we're gonna have to get over and just like you know, get over ourselves for doing such a cool service to, to the community or whatever. But that is that is one direction. And then there's this other... That's kind of like the Netflix uh, sort of concept. Yeah. Uh, $9.99 a month. Uh, I think um, uh, uh, $7.99 is what they're asking for at this point with a limited number of shows. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, um, it's an interesting concept. I mean, it's proven uh, to work, uh, you know, in the, the, the first movie and now movie television side of things with Netflix. But... Yep. Um, uh, you know, I mean, if it's a if it's a little bit more like radio, then you know, traditional advertising seems to be a little bit more of the the the, the common um, experience. I mean, you you yeah. already have a you know a a, a, a a culture, a society that is trained uh, to expect um, you know advertisements, uh, you know, uh, in in content that they are getting for free. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, and I think the you know the the Spotify acquiring Gimlet several months ago that that kind of changed the way people were looking at podcasting for better or worse um and you know Amazon and Google and Facebook and and Apple I mean they're all going to get into it somehow and it feels like it's you know it is in its infancy and I don't it feels like the path ahead is like there's a lot of different forks in the road and I just I find it really hard to guess what it'll be like in five years Spotify for the music is effectively behind a paywall mm -hmm. but spotify right now and i don't believe there's any plans to change this um allows you to listen to any podcast for free without being a member yeah yep yep and all, all the osiris podcasts are on there it's really easy to get your podcasts on there but but yeah that's um that's why luminary the model is going to be interesting to see if it works but my feeling is that that is also you're, we're going to have those all of a sudden as a bundle, which is included in something else. Yeah, you know? it can't stand on its own. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the Spotify side of things, you have all that music. You already have a paying audience, uh, you know, a, a successful venture. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so it, it makes sense for them. Same thing with Pandora uh, and some of the others. Um, um, but, you know, to just come out the gate and say, here pay us for you know uh, in fairly limited content um it, it's going to be interesting to see how how, how successful it is yep. i think on the financial side a hundred million dollars raised like what <laughs> your end game has to be you know at that stage like you're not going to get acquired by spotify for 300 million because that return is like yeah not a good not that good for your investors so 
the game plan for them must be to either build something so big that it becomes a billion dollar business or you know try to get acquired by by a much bigger company you know in, right. a, in a year or two it's just it's very interesting and and i know the guy who started it doesn't have much experience in podcasting so i hope they have really good you know advisors well, you must have lots of experience in getting money that definitely and that's um that's what we we need some experience in that too so <laughs> well uh, let's not go down that hole too much. <laughs> the, the, the 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 next question might be you know what how, how do you think music podcasts are going to evolve and um you know i i think we all agree that that this is getting to be a moment uh where uh music uh the subject of 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 music as as a podcast subject um uh is 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 beginning to uh, to rise and shine yeah I, to me you know i was talking to someone the other day who was asking about the music side of things and actually putting music into podcasts and the more experience that I have with it, the more I'm realizing that the music is actually not what draws people. People don't generally come to podcasts to hear music. They want to hear a story. They want yeah, to they be want... informed. Yeah. They want entertainment or infotainment. Yeah, and they want to be, you know, at least the fans of Osiris that we've talked to, they want to be, you know, informed and delighted and, and they want to go deeper on topics they care about and bands they care about and genres and, and that sort of thing. And so... You know, the music commentary side of things is something that I think is going to continue to 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 explode. And with the artists themselves seeing it as something that's goes beyond the typical 30 to 60 second, you know, interview clip, either on TV or radio. It goes beyond social media because it's a little bit more depth and the artists we've talked to. And, and I'm sure you have the same experience you they really like, like deeper, opening up like a deeper dig in rock yeah it's almost like hmm, you could do a deeper make a dig like yeah exactly so <laughs> i think it's cool for the artists to be able to engage more deeply with fans and for fans to be able to get you know content that they can't get anywhere else and so i i think it creates a stronger emotional connection to uh an act mm -hmm. uh, and i think that that's part of the the the, the problem with with fine you know, music discovery today uh is there's just so much out there and there are really gatekeepers anymore and um uh you know in radio th there were the djs and the, and the djs were the tastemakers and uh, uh they uh were the ones that uh you know found uh, the gold and uh, presented it to yeah. the public uh, who which then ate it up now that was on a smaller scale this 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 can be done in a much greater scale to today um, but uh, I think I think maybe that's kind of where podcasting in music ca can really service uh, the ecosphere of, of the, the music industry. Yeah, and I, I'm not saying this just because you invited me on the show, but this <laughs> this show, the stuff that you guys do, is you know where I think it should go, which is going in more deeply on the things you care about to learn and to be informed, and then you go back to the music. I mean, I, when I listen to a podcast like yours, I end up going back and later and then i'm listening to the music that exactly. we've heard right that's the so, point mm -hmm. so it is like symbiotic in that way but i don't i think there's like this in the media recently there have been a few articles about music podcasts and i think some journalists are just like conflating the two ideas and just thinking that it's like that podcasts with music on them is what what you know fans you mean like want. a glorified playlist or something yeah yeah, yeah. a catered set list exactly yeah. yeah i don't think that is what no like, that's not yeah. the future no right. that, i mean anybody could do that yeah and at that point uh, everybody has their own tastes right uh, and you right. can make your own playlist yeah exactly so i think like the, what what we're trying to do is get artists you know involved and engaged in telling their own stories and get fans you know to to come listen to it and mm -hmm. have 
all these writers and interesting music thinkers around to help facilitate and do the research and, and present good ideas. So to me, it's a super exciting time to be to be involved with podcasting. So, Tom, um, this is not your first successful uh, business venture. You, you've had other successful businesses uh, before Osiris, right? Um, kind of. Uh, so I got a, right after 2005, left Prudential. I got a real estate license right into the real estate slump of 2008. Good for so, you. So that <laughs> timing. That then is pushed everything. Pushed me exactly into a company called Soundwave 360, which had begun to. They had raised a lot of money, so I was again. I was salaried, and my wife was happy, and I was going to New York City two days a week, and everything was great, and it was a cool product that allowed you to hear if uh, through headphones the full 5.1 surround uh, experience which I now understand Sony is re-coming out with, uh, you know, probably 10 whatever years after after Soundwave 360. But anyway, the, we, we burned through our money. Uh, oh, before, it's always the exploiters. That yep, we before we came out with a product, which was we were trying to turn that uh, experience into a chip that could be inside phones and iPods at the time. Um, and then I created a company and, and managed to sell it. So this might be what you consider a success story uh, called Lyric Machine, which was a way of crowd sourcing lyric writing. However, the company that bought it in Atlanta, um, also uh, part of the purchase, got me for two years. And I worked as a president. Yeah, contracted. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I worked as a president in a a entertainment company down in Atlanta for two years, 2014, 2015. Uh, and my, my lyric machine product never came out. In fact, nothing came out in the two years I was there. Um, and so I was happy kind of to, to change channels and come back, uh, from there. And when I did, that's when, uh, podcasting and Osiris started and, um, also doing something in the cannabis hemp world, uh, right now. And yeah, the, everything's looking really great. Osiris is looking like it's moving the direction that we want it to. Uh, and, you know, a lot more fun, a lot more content uh, to look forward to. And uh, the same thing in the world of cannabis and hemp. Well, I, and, and I, I, I believe you're also working on a graphic novel. Oh, so... <laughs> uh, oh, you know about that. Oh. <laughs> I don't know how that got out, but good research on your part. Um, so, uh, yeah, so Trey... Anastasio, the uh, my guitarist friend in Fish. Um, oh, uh, the Fish, right? No, uh, <laughs> a Fish. I'm sorry, just Fish. Um, wrote unless you're unless you're my father-in-law, then it's the Fish. Okay, <laughs> um, see, somebody does call them the Fish. <laughs> um, you know, the Beatles, so it has to be the Fish. Um, uh, wrote a song called Steam, which. The second the lyrics kind of were published, um, literally 400 people asked me, you know, what's the rest of the story? And like, like Gamehenge, sort of. Kind uh, of, yeah. A, and there, I was like... There, there's there's got to be more to exactly. it than just that one And it song. really was. Like, it sounded like a, a story that, you know, is missing its beginning and missing its ending. And so Trey and I uh, capitalized on that a little bit by creating... Like kind of in my head at the at time, it it easily became a trilogy. So and we finally finished the third song in the trilogy. So it's a steam thread epitaph or the three songs. But the book thing that you're talking about, that's the graphic just, novel. Yeah, that's just me. It's not 
not Trey as, as involved, although he knows about it, of course. Um, I'm trying, and I've been trying for a while, because uh, it's, it's harder to do, and it's not my uh, exact wheelhouse. Um, but I've, I'm working with an artist, I'm working with a, an, another guy who's like a, a comic book kind of writer, and trying to come up with a cool... Uh, well, we have the the rest of the story. We have the beginning of the story and the end of the story for Steam, and we're trying to figure out a way of releasing this in sort of an innovative way. Okay, so are are we making news today that uh, this uh, graphic novel called Steam is on the way? Well, now you've made me <laughs> have to do it, right? Which so I guess that's the news, and it's news to me too. <laughs> All right, real quickly, last couple of questions back to our uh, dearly beloved fish. Um, where does the band stand now, and, and how is the how is the future determined? Uh, you know, now that. Um, you know, let's face it. Uh, you know, the guys are uh, in their fifties. Uh, they're 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 you know kind of you know settled. Um, it seems they are uh, in a, a great space, at least from an outsider's perspective, uh, and are um, you know ready for uh, you know whatever comes at them, uh, and and continuing to be just the the fish that every <laughs> there I said fish one, didn't I uh, that, uh, that everybody expects uh, with uh, you know uh, uh, you know kind of kind of like a, you know maybe a summer tour and a fall tour and then everybody goes and does their own personal things and then they come back and reconvene uh, annually is that is that kind of where things are right now I think you kind of hit on why they're still successful and still friends and uh, it came through loud and clear in a recent interview I did with Mike Gordon on Under the Scales, um, where he essentially said the same thing, where um, when Fish had its long hiatus, he triumphantly found uh, a perfect incarnation of his band and was extremely uh, happy to be the band leader and coming out with these songs that weren't Fish songs and, and finding an identity musically apart from Fish. And it was like, supremely exciting for him uh and and so when the news that fish was coming back he didn't necessarily meet that with uh 100% enthusiasm this these are his words um and you you should listen to the interview if you if you want a deeper dive um but um Trey I guess told him we we can do it all there's enough time we can do both and uh spoken from Trey it makes sense because Trey has tab and he has his acoustic version where just he plays and then now he has ghosts of the forest and uh as a side project so he like mike very much uh do operate in an identity away from fish as well and it seems like it's really really beneficial for them uh you know health-wise as a band and also health-wise as individuals well, uh, unfortunately, uh, Mick Jagger had a little heart valve issue that stopped uh, a uh, stadium tour um, for just a, a little bit. It sounds like everything's good. And and those guys are pushing 80. So let's hope that uh, uh, the boys uh, and yourself uh, continue on and continue making uh, great uh, uh, and wonderful music and are able to uh, create the joy out in the world that um, that uh, crazy band does. I appreciate it. Thank you, Christian. I got one last question for you, and then, then we'll call it. And that, is the muse as kind to you today as she always has been? The muse. She is uh, ephemeral, meaning fleeting, I guess. And yeah, it's like yeah. my relationship 
with her is on and off again. <laughs> um, she doesn't come when called. No, no. And when she's there, I've, uh, I think I even said these words to you earlier, is my writing style is I trust the muse. So when it's flowing out, even if I don't necessarily know what it means, I just write it down. You know you gotta, you got to work. Yep. And sometimes like a song will spill out fully formed. And sometimes, you know, it needs a little bit of work, but for whatever reason at the time, it's the words are coming out and, and I, I've learned to faithfully put them down. Even if I wake up in the middle of the night and it causes uh, a person that might be sleeping next to me to wake up that <laughs> I have to rush to, to get them down. Uh, I, I do that now 100% of the time. Even if it's multiple people you're sleeping with. <laughs> <laughs> yes, especially. <laughs> Excuse me while I pull my pen out. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> Tom Marshall, uh, RJP, both of you, uh, thanks for being with us today on Deeper Digs and Rock. Confuse what you can of the ending and revise your despise so it's many. I'm getting it clearly through alternate paths, so mixed in with the signal you're sending. You can unlearn all the facts that I've learned. I sat in the chairs and my senses burned. The torture of chalk just connects on my tongue. Thoughts follow my vision and dance in the sun. All my passive particles, they come slowly undone. With this way to lie more, can I live on Thank you, Tom and RJ, not just for a great interview, but also a fun weekend getting to know you guys. Uh, Lots of podcasting talk, and I want to mention uh, my Pantheon partner, Peter Ferrioli, who joined us. And we even got to catch uh, Trey's Ghost of the Forest tour stop here in town, uh, as I mentioned in the interview. So, hook, line, and sinker. Okay, that's my last fish joke. The concert with Trey was very interesting for me, but uh, not for the material played per se. The songs were okay, maybe better than okay. Uh, I'm not sure there were songs that will turn into staples at fish shows, though I bet Trey pulls a few out on his various future live solo work. Uh, Now, of course, I could be wrong. Certainly, there were a few excellent jams played, and I I do want to give a big thumbs up to Jennifer Hartswick and Celise Henderson, who sounded amazing and added a vocal heft not usually found at a Fish concert. And kudos to Anastasio for the underlying meaning of the entire concept. The emotional impact was evident throughout. It was special, um, but maybe not spectacular. But what struck me leaving the venue was the fact that 8,500 people came to see and hear an entire set of songs never played before. No hits, no covers, not a single recognizable tune at all. It is an incredible statement of the fandom found in the fish community. And let me tell you, it wasn't a polite or expected respect for a guitar hero to most of the audience. The audience was wrapped throughout the performance. There was palpable energy. There was genuine love and appreciation for songs never heard and for the artists putting out a new statement of work. It was a unique experience uh, in my concert-going career. All right, Uh, one other concept I want to delve into before we go. Tom 
was our first official lyricist on the show. Um, he's, uh, you know, kind of like Robert Hunter or John Perry Barlow of the Grateful Dead or Barry Toppin and Elton John. Um, these folks are few and far between individuals, lyricists committed to a particular artist or act for a lengthy career. It's an unusual partnership and different than a songwriting team like Goffin and King or Lieber and Stoller. This is far more intimate. You are writing words to music for a very particular artist. Therefore, it's more mind meld than just straight songwriting. Tom and Trey have been at it for decades, and I think it's fair to say their collaborations have only gotten better with time. Let's face it, a jam band's main job is to jam. Therefore, ipso facto, their lyrics are perhaps secondary. I also want to add that Trey and Tom come from a different time than, say, Hunter, Barlow, or Toppin. Those three are from the golden age of rock and roll when everything was still shiny and new. Also, the competition required you to step up in the Game of Thrones or die. And while Toppin gained immediate success, we all know the Dead's Road was long and strange to the top, but they did make it. All of those writers lived and used monoculture, universal poetic concepts, metaphors, allegory, motifs of, say, yeah, the road, uh, uh, expanse, love, uh, requited and unrequited. Fish was always insular, uh, ironic, absurd. And I'm in no way knocking Tom and Trey. I'm just pointing out a time shift in cultural examination, which is the grist from which the poet bakes his bread, right? Perhaps insular irony and absurdity better fit the times of late-stage rock and roll. Eh, something to consider. Anyway, certainly a re-examination of all what are assumed are silly lyrics is warranted by critics of the band. Okay. Do go and get your fish fry anytime, live or recorded. And of course, go check out the Osiris Podcasting Network for this show, for Tom's podcast, Under the Scales, and all the great podcasts over at Osiris.com. I'm Christian Swain, the Rock and Roll Archaeologist, and this has been Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Until next time, keep up the rockin'. of social injustice? Oxfam America works with people in more than 90 countries to save lives, develop long-term solutions to poverty, and campaign for social change. And we do it with the help of our friends in the music world. The Beatles were Oxfam supporters back in the day. So were the Stones. And through the years, musicians and music fans have helped Oxfam push hard to work for a just world without poverty. 
Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. You can too. Go to OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help. Deeper Digs in Rock, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at R&R Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.